The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is Conspiranormal. Okay, welcome back to Conspiranormal, guys. Episode 302. And we are here. And uh, it's myself, Adam, and Sergio. And we got a special guest on the line to start off. Uh, we're not starting off with a guest right away. But uh, we have uh, someone here that wants to talk about a Kickstarter that they're doing. And you guys, if you went to the Strange Realities conference that we did last year in Nashville, you may have met uh, the MC of the event who was dressed up like a uh, famous pro wrestler. Oh, yeah. And was uh, distributing uh, Slim Jims and also uh, reading horrible your mama jokes to the audience and doing paranormal this is, trivia this so, is true it was uh i was wearing a lot of hats that day it was a lot of fun yes uh, yeah that was a, a blast to be a part of yes you were and the future strange realities for sure and you got uh you actually came and helped us out a lot and you not only did you MC, but you also filmed the entire event yeah, it was cool to actually. I uh, I had some film equipment uh, from a previous uh, horror film I was part of. The director retired because I guess nobody watched the horror films he was making. So he sold all the stuff to me, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to be able to use it for something you know positive and cool. So yeah, and it's awesome footage, man. We really think you were gonna have some opportunities for people to be able to see that real soon. Yeah, 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 it's really it's interesting footage. I, I got to say, I you know I went there to film, and I was surprised how many times I was taken aback just listening to what everybody had to say, and mm-hmm. and it was a real eye opener. It's amazing what you guys are doing. Uh, you know, it's it's cool that you're getting this information out there. Yeah, we had some amazing speakers and some amazing guests, some amazing attendees. I was really happy about it, and I'm I'm just now getting to the point where I'm going through all that footage. And we've got somebody uh, that's also close to the show that's editing that now. And uh, there's going to be some stuff available probably on our Patreon pretty soon. So people will get to see what you're, uh, what you're, what you've filmed. So Heck yeah, All but right. you've got something else going on right now and yeah. uh, something that you want to promote. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Cause it's got a little paranormal theme to it. 
and that's uh something called far away angel so people yeah. maybe not have heard you before on the show kind of give a little bit of background about what it is that you're doing and uh the why you're doing this far away angel project what this is Okay. Um, yeah, if you go to Kickstarter and you type in Faraway Angel, uh, what that is is that's a song title. Uh, my father, his name's Jim Von Stein, and he's a songwriter, and he's been writing songs all of his life, since the 60s, literally all of his life. And he's amassed a collection of over 5,000 songs. It's, I, I know that's an outrageous number, but it's literally, in some cases, it's true. He's been writing songs all of his life he started off writing poetry and uh, upon getting a guitar he started piecing it together and now our house you can't even throw away a piece of paper because there's some sort of melody or some sort of lyric or something like that on it um, this is a song uh, that my father wrote on October 15th 1989 it's called Far Away Angel and it's always been one of my favorite songs that my father wrote and uh, I started a Kickstarter for him in 2017. I wanted to make a music video for him because he wrote all these songs. Uh, so what we did is we selected 30 of his songs for that Kickstarter. And we were hoping to get a $1,000 budget to make a music video of one of those songs. And we came up with music video ideas for 30 of my father's songs, one for each day. And with the, we let the audience decide uh, the music video that they wanted to see. And it turns out that uh, my idea for this music video was a part of that, but it wasn't the one that was selected. We ended up going with uh, Streets of Chicago. And, and I'm happy to say that on uh, Christmas Day of 2017, I was able to release that music video. So if you go to YouTube and you type in Von Stein Streets of Chicago, you can see uh, the music video for Streets of Chicago, which is I, – I, I'm biased, but I think it's a really good song. I think it's really entertaining. Uh, Far Away Angel is another song of my father's that I've always enjoyed. It's actually probably my favorite song of my father's, uh, but I play his music out now. My father, uh, he's written all these songs, and he doesn't play his music out anymore because he has emphysema. Mm -hmm. Emphysema is a disease that affects your lungs. Uh, basically, he has fluid in his lungs, and because he has fluid in his lungs, he's not able to do physical activities anymore. He can't play guitar anymore. He can't. Uh, even walking around, even opening a refrigerator, it causes a lot of issues. It's hard for him to get around. He's on oxygen 24 hours a day. When he uh, started uh, getting diagnosed with emphysema, I thought it was – he's written all these songs all of his life, and no one's really heard them. And it, I, I think that's – something needs to be done about that. So I started playing his music out. And uh, it, it's been a dream to come out and play music. I, I was always afraid of playing music, and I think singing in front of people was like kind of terrifying. I think most people probably think that. Yeah, you um, taught yourself to play guitar and to get up there. Yeah, and took I, voice lessons and all that just to do this. I, I did. Yeah, I've been. Uh, I've, uh, right now, I'm, I'm not working right now. I've been dedicating a lot of time towards uh, getting my father's music out there and trying to uh, raise emphysema awareness. I'm lucky and blessed that I've been able to work with the COPD Foundation. I was able to get uh, Streets of Chicago on their website. And what I do is I share uh, – my father lives in Chattanooga. I live in Atlanta. So I play shows uh, at least weekly. I try to play every night. And what I do is I live stream the shows for my father to watch from Chattanooga. And uh, through doing that, I've also joined a lot of emphysema groups on Facebook and uh, different groups like that. And I've shared the music that way. And it's been a real blessing to see how it's helping a lot of people. You know, the emphysema affects a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, I, I started off as an actor. That's why I moved to Atlanta. 
And I was very influenced by older movies. And if you watch older films, everybody's smoking. And my father started smoking when he was 12 because it was just the normal thing to do. I remember as a kid, nobody questioned me going and buying cigarettes from a vending machine and whatnot and giving them to my parents because it was not even, nobody questioned it. You know, it was just like the normal thing to do. And it's affected a lot of people. There's a whole generation of people and generations still get affected by emphysema. So uh, I want to take my father's music and I'd like to raise emphysema awareness with it if possible. And that's part of the reason why I started this Kickstarter. Uh, my idea for the music video, uh, it matches with the conspiranormal theme, I think, because the theme of the music video is it takes place in a Frankenstein lab. And my idea is uh, Frankenstein is trying to bring a beautiful woman to life. And as he's trying to bring the beautiful woman to life, a bunch of mishaps keep happening. And instead of bringing the beautiful woman to life, he starts bringing dead musicians to life. And now all these zombies are like walking around, not knocking everything over. It's not going to be a serious video at all. It's going to be like Looney Tunes kind of. I want to make it a fun thing that, you know, everybody can appreciate. And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm hoping to do. I'd like to, you know, take my father's songs and his collection of music and, you know, do positive things with it, raise emphysema awareness, raise other types of awareness that needs to be, you know, brought out there. My father writes about everything. Uh, he writes about a lot of the atrocities that our world's facing nowadays. And, uh, you know, it's a real honor to get out there and talk about these things and kind of, you know, shine some light on this in a way, I would yeah. say. He's got a whole backlog of songs that he's worked on for years and years and years and years. And uh, you've really done well in getting out there and, and playing the songs and, and doing videos. I think that's a pretty unique way to do it. And to get people, have you had a lot of people like uh, look at those at that first video? Uh, since the streets of Chicago, we got over three thousand views on that one, and uh, we made another music video. There's a group of people in Alabama that are helping me with this Kickstarter. Um, a guy named Jason O'Brien, and he works for a, a company, Fastlane Productions. And him um, and my friend friend Rachel Marshall, they created a music video for another one of his songs called Brown Jug. Which, if you listen to the lyrics of Brown Jug, it's a really poignant song. I think it like kind of talks about alcoholism a little bit, uh, but it's one of those things that I think you know needs to be talked about. It needs to be out there in the uh, in the open. You know, my grandfather was an alcoholic, so I think my father was probably influenced by that a little bit, and that might be why he writes about things that were so deep and so you know touching and whatnot. So I, I invite you to check it out. If you check out Von Stein, Brown Jug, that's another music video you can check out. That one's a, you know, it's got a lot of drama to it. It might make you cry at the end of it, but, you know, I think it's a really good song. It's worth listening to. Uh, Far Away Angel, we're going to try to make that a little more fun, more, uh, you know, Looney Tooney kind of thing. Gotcha. Uh, where can people find the Kickstarter? Where can people go uh, if they want to help you out, donate? Yeah, if you go to, uh, if you just type in Kickstarter and go type in Far Away Angel, uh, we should be the only Far Away Angel available on there. And uh, we just started, uh, my father's birthday is February 13th, so I started on February 13th, and it's going to be a 30-day Kickstarter. And every day we're getting more and more updates, uh, so people can follow along to see, uh, you know, all the updates. I just uploaded the, uh, I, I included the storyboard today. I drew a, uh, like a 10-page storyboard of what we're hoping to accomplish with the music video. It's kind of like a comic book version of it. But uh, I just uploaded that today, so you can check that out and kind of see what we're going for. And, uh, yeah, you can follow along there. We'll be going until uh, March 13th on this Kickstarter. And uh, it's going to lead right into, we're actually uh, 
Adam's going to be coming to Atlanta. We're doing a uh, another fundraiser for an awesome cause called the Drake House, uh, which what they do is they hope uh, help single women find housing, uh, single mothers find homes, and that's going to be March 14th in Atlanta. So we're going to be going all the way up to that. So topping out homelessness, and uh, you can follow along and see all the fun updates that go along with it. And I will say this: um, I will be there. And um, I've talked to Jerry from Knox Mente. He will be there too because he lives out there in that close to you in that area. So uh, we'll have a table set up. I don't exactly know what we're gonna do yet. Maybe if anybody wants to talk about weird paranormal stories, I definitely would be down to get them on uh, to record them. But that's what. Uh, so I will be there. So if anybody wants a conspiratorial meetup, I guess a Knox Mente meetup, then. Uh, Come find us. That's yeah, uh, March 14th, right? Saturday, March 14th. If you go on Facebook, you can type in the second annual Tapping Out Homelessness event, and that'll give you all the detailed information. It's going to be at Truck and Tap Alpharetta. It's going to be uh, 2 to 10 p.m. we got live music all day. I'll be playing Far Away Angel there. I'll be playing uh, uh, an hour of my father's original songs. And uh, we got a great lineup. We really got some of the best musicians Atlanta have to offer. Uh, Mark Williams is going to be playing violin. We got Joseph uh, Joseph E. Reed is going to be playing violin. Uh, we got a, a slew of great people. Jordan Armstrong is going to be there. E.T. We got a E.T. He lives in Chattanooga. He's going to be coming out. Uh, Sean Allen, if you remember from uh, Strange Realities, he helped run sound. He's going to be playing yeah. music. Asked this a couple of good so questions there. too. He did. He asked a lot. Yeah, yeah. he's really interested. Uh, he's got an interesting Bigfoot story. So make sure you come and talk to Sean about his Bigfoot experience that he had happen. And uh, Lori Lockie is going to be playing with him. Uh, I'll be playing my dad's music with uh, Mark and Joseph on violin. And yeah, it's going to be a great night. Adam's going to come out. Please come on out. Talk about you know anything Drake House, Conspiranormal, anything you feel like talking about. Just come and have a good time with us. All right, Jason. Thank you so much, man. That's great. Give that. Uh, give the website for the Kickstarter one more time. Yeah, if you go to Kickstarter, just type in Far Away Angel, and you can follow along, and you can uh, donate if you like to. And uh, if nothing else, you get to listen to some cool music. So, Thank you very much for having me. I, uh, it's a real honor to be a part of this. I look forward to strange realities and uh, yep. our strange future. So. Yep. And that's uh, September 26th and 27th, This uh, September 25th and 26th, excuse me, this year, guys. So tickets will be going on sale soon if they're not already on sale by the time this posts. So thank you, Jason. Uh, stay on the line for us. And, guys, we will be back with AP Strange talking about some real weird stuff uh, from the Liminal Earth blog and some other material. So we'll be right back. And we are back. And we have the main guest this evening. We have our good buddy, um, Matt Hopewell. Otherwise known, known as AP Strange. That's right, a.k.a. Hey, guys. Hey, man, how's it going? We're uh, glad to have you on the show. Um, I, you know, it's uh, interesting that uh, the, how this show came about is there's actually going to be another one, another guy that, I've, that I got on. I got uh, two more episodes really out of the episode 300. And you had hit me up about coming on and I had seen yep. uh, and talking about like your personal stories on episode 300 
and you talked about some of the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. And when you told me what we were going to talk about, what you want to talk about, I said, well, you know what? That really should just be its own show. And it also turned out that I, you know, you and I follow each other on Twitter and right. we have a common friend and Mr. Banal, Tim of formerly of Banal of America. Formerly still going, man. Oh, sort of. You know, he, he does it whenever he wants to, but, yeah. uh, but Banal's a good friend of ours. He was just here at Strange Realities, and he'll be back uh, here at Strange Realities 2020. And, and he was on the 300th episode. Yeah, he was on the 300th. Yeah, we yeah. managed to get him nice to call on the 300th episode. He made quite so, an entrance in that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, he, he likes to make an entrance. Uh, <laughs> we... we uh, and so, like, I, I had told him that he was like you were somebody that I've been meaning to hit up for a while, actually, to come on and talk. And I was like, glad that you did. So uh, here we are. Got you on the show. Um, tell people a little bit about your two blogs. You've got the APStrange.com and then you've got Liminal Earth. That's not just a blog. It's like a database, pretty much, and map of... right. Right. Strange happenings. So let's kind of talk about these two projects that you're doing, what these are. Okay. Well, um, for, for my own personal blog, I, I kind of got started with that about a year ago. Um, doesn't get updated a whole lot. Uh, I'm kind of a perfectionist when it comes to how my, my posts turn out. So I, uh, (laughs) you know, I take my time with them. Uh, I've been interested in all this crazy stuff for for most of my life. So uh, about a year ago, I decided, or I, I decided to get into uh, actually writing about it and starting a Twitter account just to put little tidbits out there every day. And uh, the blog was kind of to to expand on on any weird ideas I had. Um, the latest stuff I've been working on is is uh, the Ashtar Galactic Command interference in 1977 that's uh, taken up the better part of my research time for the past year. And uh, Liminal Earth is a little different because that wasn't started by me. That was originally it was called Liminal Seattle. It was started by two guys, Jeremy Jeremy Puma and Garrett Kelly out in Seattle to document all the uh, weirdness going on around there. So the whole idea is to take any weird thing that happens to you and be able to put it on a map and share it with the rest of the world so it's an interactive map that covers the whole globe yeah. they eventually op- opened it up to everybody everybody everywhere I started following them on Twitter back when they were just Liminal Seattle and uh, I remember thinking this is so cool I wish I could add to it but I've never even been to Seattle yeah. <laughs> you know it seems to me they could open it up to the whole world so I um Eventually they did, and then they started. Uh, they started a program that they call ambassadors. You, you can get an ambassadorship into the Society for Liminal Cartography, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing there is to help them out by being an ambassador for my region of Massachusetts. So uh, they they bestowed me with a a snazzy title as an ambassador for my region. So I'm the 
Deputy Director of Luminal Compliance for Massachusetts and Environs. Luminal Compliance. <laughs> Luminal Compliance. Let, let's yeah. talk. A, let, so, let's talk. A, let's talk a little bit about um, why we're using the terminology liminal. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, it seems to be everywhere these days. Uh, you hear it in a lot of a lot of paranormal conversation. The idea of liminality and uh, kind of existing between worlds or the overlapping of, of different things. So um, it's a great name for the map. It's, it's things uh, that are strange, that are paranormal, that are everything in between. Uh, not, not necessarily every story on the map is something that you would call paranormal. It's just something kind of odd, maybe, you know. Um, but, but, yeah, the, the idea... There seems to be a lot more overlap now between different fields of of weirdness and and the paranormal, like ufology and ghosts and cryptozoology, kind of overlapping with each other um, these days more than there used to be. And this map is kind of the perfect place for that. We don't really have preconceived notions there. There's no um, there's no debunking or or fact checking. We just kind of we just want to hear people's stories, and we want them to put it on the map and maybe we, or figure some of this stuff out. Cool. I, I listened to uh, you guys have have some podcasts on there, and I listened to the first one where you guys were start talking about the the beginnings of the Luminal Earth Project, and kind of you guys have these ideas about uh, remythologizing the landscape is something I heard. And paranormal. That's kind of our tagline. Yeah. Yeah. I and, love that. And paranormal cartography, which is really right. cool. Um, and you guys just started to document all these ex- experiences to kind of create like a, a data bank, or, and you were documenting dreams too. Right. Yeah. No, it's a, it really runs the gamut. I mean, we have a, we have a reincarnation story up on the map. Uh, uh, just strange places. Uh, um, you know, we have all these different categories that you can add to when you when you make a submission. So if people go to liminal.earth, I probably should have led with that a little bit. <laughs> the actual website. Liminal.earth is where you find it. And uh, we have all these different categories of of things that you can report from creatures mm-hmm. to thin places to ufos to straight up ghosts and um it can be more than one category or it can be just one whatever you want to pick so so the idea with paranormal cartography is you could find relationships to perhaps you know like concentrated phenomena in certain areas and look for other things and just it's got a lot of cool implications Right. Yeah. I mean, the possibilities are endless. Um, one thing that occurred to me is if you experience something strange that you never felt like telling anybody about, uh, and I think that tends to be the case, even if you're, you know, people are generally accepting of a ghost story, I find, but you don't really want to go out telling people you saw a ghost, but at least you have a word for it. If you see something really weird that you have no explanation for, and you look on this map and you find that somebody else saw something that seems similar to it nearby or kind of in the same place, then that kind of, you know, that's the kind of pattern that that's really important to me, you know, <laughs> but, give, but give we're, some we're, validation, we're, a little bit of validation. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and 
you know the the idea that some of these some of these different things are related it's kind of interesting to see what reports come from where and we're interested we're interested in all the different um all the information we, you can get about a place you know uh from from uh the composition of the land to the the mm-hmm. topography to what's nearby it um waterways the weather that day time of day all of these things can be really important to a report um the, it's almost the minute of of the paranormal <laughs> but uh but remythologizing the landscape is the biggest part of it you know you tend to think of your hometown as being very familiar and and um, mundane to you until you th- can think of a weird thing that happened somewhere that you heard about you know it builds a mythology upon upon the street that you walk down every day so what uh, what kind of stories have you gotten over there in Massachusetts? What's some of the weirder ones that you've taught that you've gathered for this project? And um, are there any that kind of correspond with each other that say you know some people will say, "Hey, well, I experienced that too." You know, give the, give that valid that validation. Uh, well, Massachusetts has a has a long history. Um, I did. I did submit a, a couple of my own personal stories there, um, and and we 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 have the coastal areas that tend to have a higher higher degree of of ghost stories, and I think that comes a lot from uh, it's just uh, we have a lot of old places around here, <laughs> and uh, along the coast, especially. Uh, coastal towns tend to have this kind of ghostly, uh, ghostly mystique to them. And I think you were talking so, about kind of a, it's, it's got a real um, colonial Lovecraftian kind of vibe. Well, yeah, I mean, Lovecraft was from New England. I like to think that all the, you know, and Stephen King too, for that matter. So <laughs> there's a reason for that. Uh, New England can be a pretty spooky place. Yeah, it was uh, a spooky place to the Puritans when they got there, or maybe yeah. the Puritans were just spooky. Yeah, that's the, that's <laughs> yeah, no, that's probably the other way around. Yeah. yeah in but, fact, one of the uh, the earliest recorded UFO sighting was from Massachusetts in uh, 1635, I think, somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, lights lights being seen off the Boston Harbor by men in a men in a boat. Okay. And then a couple. That's very early. A couple of, it is. Yeah, it was recorded by. The governor of the colony, I think the Plymouth colony at the time, or Massachusetts Bay colony. Um, his name's not coming to me at the moment. This is not one I mapped yet, but I was looking into it recently. Because um, a couple of years later, there's a story that's actually recorded by Jacques Vallée in one of his books that um, sounds a lot like an abduction encounter. Again, a couple of men on a boat, and they see a light going across the sky, and they describe it as being in the shape of a swine, whatever that means. <laughs> and then uh, after it disappears, they find that they're three miles down the river from where they had started. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, you have a little bit of what seems like a missing time or or being transported. So many people um, on boats see stuff. It's weird. Yeah, but that that one was on a river. 
and not the ocean. So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting too. But um, we have a surprising amount of Bigfoot in in Massachusetts. I never really thought that that was the case growing up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's interesting told- in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just north of where I live is uh, an area called Monsterland. So we're we're getting accounts from there. It's the Lemonster State Forest and the surrounding areas in Lemonster and Princeton, Massachusetts. That um, the the name Monsterland was coined by Ronnie LeBlanc, who I think is on that Expedition Bigfoot show now. But um, so that's just wrote, an, an informal name. It's not actually called Monsterland. I'm not sure if he coined it, but that's the name of his book, um, and okay. that's what some people call it because because of the amount of weird stuff that happens there. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not called that on the map. Nope, I never heard of that growing up. Yeah, it wasn't until I saw I, I saw a presentation at at the uh, at, at the Lemonster UFO Festival um, back in I guess 2016 that I ever heard of that. Um, but since then, I've I've actually met Ronnie, and I, I have a copy of that book. And there's a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool stories from there. And uh, one of my one of my encounters that I put on the map was not far from there. So I think we got two related to Monsterland up there so far. But of course, you do have the uh, Bridgewater Triangle too. That's uh, bri- was that's like Western Massachusetts, right? Nope. No, it's uh, it's the South Shore, Massachusetts, pretty okay. much. Okay. So okay. it's south of Boston and extends partly into Rhode Island. Okay. And yeah, that's... that's on the map as just one big entry, the Bridgewater Triangle, but that covers a pretty massive area between um, the south of Boston and Northern Rhode Island, Bridgewater, Easton, areas like that, and the Hockamock Swamp. <laughs> Very famous for the uh, Puckwudgie. The Pukwudgie, yep. Yeah, there's supposed to be a ghost of a hitchhiker there. There's supposed to be, you know, orbs, orbs of light, uh, UFOs, Sasquatch, a little bit of everything. There's a ledge that people um, feel compelled to jump off of when they get near it. <laughs> it's like a suicide ledge. Um, so, yeah, the, I, I actually haven't, haven't had the opportunity to visit the Bridgewater Triangle yet because it's one of those anytime you have a triangle it's actually a massive swath of land that covers a whole bunch of different towns so you need a particular destination to go to um, and I, I haven't I haven't really gotten around to it yet as far as across the whole globe um, what are some of the most uh, like fantastic or ones that really stick out uh, submissions so far to Luminal Earth uh, the more fantastic ones. Um, let's see. Um, I, I picked out a few of my favorites here. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that's that fits with the fantastic. Uh, <laughs> well, this one that I I got one queued up here. That's the um, it's called Weird Hijinks at the Guardians. Um. So this is submitted by a woman that was driving down the National Trails Highway from Route 66. And I guess there's these two large stone foo dogs, these um, statues that, like, you would see outside of a Chinese restaurant. 
Yeah. And they face the mountains and deserts and caves. So this is California, I think, we're talking right now. Um, and she said, the dirt around the statues was torn up like somebody had made a labyrinth, like the path around the property between the statues with a truck. And she went out to take photos of it. And um, she pulled off the road at some point to find cigarettes and uh, let's see. She got out of the car at one point, and then this guy gets in the car after she walked away. She sees him getting out of the car, and she shouts at him. And uh, and instead of fighting or running off, he just gave an excuse. Uh, he was just checking the car. Like he was just checking the car out, <laughs> and uh, and I don't know. It's just a really, a really bizarre story with these statues in the middle of uh, in the middle of the desert, and they they uh, nobody really knows how they got there. That's that's one of my favorite things is something large that everybody sees and they don't know how it got there, right. and then just to have this strange guy like get in her car as she's walking her dogs around <laughs> uh-huh. is even weirder. So it's just kind of, um, it's weird. Yeah. It's, she, she ties it into, um, to the OTO lodge out there and stuff like that. There's all really? kinds of ideas. So, so that, that one's that's worth what checking she, out. That's what she thinks that the OTO. Well, huh. right. She says that there's satanic lore in, in, um, in quotation marks. Yeah, and if you do Google searches, you get creepy pastas and everything else about it. Um, but I guess it's not too far from where the Agape Lodge would have been and stuff like that. So, and when I looked into it on Atlas Obscura and and other sites, I guess only one of the statues is still there, so the other one got taken down or removed somehow. But um, but originally there were two, so. So uh, that that's one that struck me the first time I read it, and I thought that's really wild, like just you know driving down a highway in a desert and seeing these statues and being like, "What's that all about?" You know. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you look into the history of it, and then you're finding creepy pastas about satanic stuff, and you just try to walk your dogs, and some gets in your car. It's definitely something weird going on in that place. Um, yeah, it's definitely a little. Of course, some of those satanic, satanic stuff is a little probably just the what is it uh, speculation satanic. or sensationalism? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as soon as people see something spooky, they gravitate towards satanic, you know, or right. demonic. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it depends on on the point of view of the person that sees it. Um. But. Uh, yeah, that actually has a tie-in with the Bridgewater Triangle too. Is is some of those towns they they thought there were satanic rituals going on there and stuff like that, but a lot of that's a lot of that's unverified. You've uh, you've heard the um, 300th episode, well, the first part of it, where we talked to uh, Joe Kistner, talking about some of these missing people that he was um, investigating in many in Minnesota. Yep. And there's that, that element there, too, some weird cold out there that people thought was some kind of weird uh, satanic satanic cult. And uh, 
the cattle mutilation stuff that goes with that was always blamed on satanic cults too and right yeah i mean you have to wonder how kind of how prevalent that stuff is right um did you did you guys see the uh small town monsters doc about the beast of bray road I don't think I've seen that one. I haven't seen that. Oh, one yet. you guys need to check that one out because that, that there's part of that where there's a um, they they get into a satanic cult with like elite people that come from all over, <laughs> and it sounds pretty wild. And they just kind of they mention it to I can't remember if he was the sheriff or if he was the animal control. I think he was the animal control officer in the documentary, and he's just kind of like. Yeah, I mean, there is a cult. They're out there. They're out there in the woods, and uh, I just kind of pretend they're not. I just look the other way. When <laughs> and I'm watching this documentary thinking, wow, this guy this guy for just a small-town animal control officer has to deal with an awful lot of crap. <laughs> 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 like, how prevalent is that stuff that, that your local, you know, essentially dog catcher or, uh, you know, somebody that has to deal with with uh, foxes or raccoons and stuff is like, Oh yeah. And that's satanic cult. I, I don't worry about them too much. I don't bother them. They don't bother me. <laughs> it might not be a good idea to bother them. You got to wonder how oh, much, right. of, how prevalent that stuff is across the country. And then also too, you know, that we, you know, we talked to Tony Kale last week and kind of the idea that what people miss, what people interpret as a satanic cult, could be something completely totally different yeah, and it's usually just yeah. some kind of mainstream paganism right it's just a lot of people don't really get it or understand what what it is um was there others that you wanted to share with us from the your personal favorites oh yeah before um, we get to the main I, I liked <laughs> oh sure yep um i really liked this one that's called the uh, I hope I pronounce it right. It's called the Tigger Triangle. Um, this one just kind of... This isn't spooky or scary to me at all, really. It's in in Oregon, and it was submitted by a girl named Audra. And um, this kind of gets to... to what, what I tend to think of uh, of the paranormal, it doesn't have to be scary. Sometimes it's just kind of a cool thing that you coexist with. Um, she said she lived in the house for about seven years, and about a month after she moved in, she would see a small black shadow in her house running around. And uh, every time she turned to look at it, it would just kind of disappear. And she didn't feel threatened by it, so um, she she thought of it as like the ghost of a cat. So she has basically a ghost cat in her house. Um, so the two concrete steps in a, at her back door have little kitty paw prints. Like there was a cat that jumped up when it was still wet and left like wet paw prints there. Hmm. Shadow that she couldn't really get a good look at. And she would talk at it as though it was a cat that belonged to her. So she would say like, it's okay, don't run away. Like, don't be scared. And I... After after living there a while, she would feel something jump up on her bed and take little tiny steps. And at the time, she didn't have any cats, so like it was like a ghost cat would just jump up and cuddle with her. <laughs> and uh, she has two cats now, according to the entry. And she says that sometimes they do the normal thing that all cats do, where they seem to just be looking at nothing and following nothing around the house. There could be a bug or a spot of light. 
but um, she's noticed that she'll feel one of them jump up on the bed and look around and there's no cat in the room. Or she'll feel something jump up on the bed after the two cats are there. And she said the cats don't seem bothered by it, but they usually make room for the ghost cat when, when it jumps up on the bed. <laughs> Which so I, they yeah, sen- I don't know. They I sense think, it too, yeah. Uh, that kind of thing to me is really cool. It's just, you know, you have a sense that there's something there. You, your cats react to it. But, you know, before you ever had the cats, you were experiencing all this stuff. You know, and and that's that's the kind of wonder I like in the paranormal versus the demonic stuff. Um, because because that's that's kind of a nice story. It's kind of cute, but you know, right. a ghost cat is still a ghost, and you really have to wonder what that is. You know, well, you know, the more that you look into the paranormal, the more you realize that a lot of it is kind of mundane. It has a mundane aspects to it. Oh, it absolutely and, does. And that's one of the things that I find completely fascinating. Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of people, well, people that that uh, that I respect in in uh, interviews that hunt ghosts, you know, that that do do research on haunted locations, um, say that you can't really just spend a couple hours in a haunted place and expect something to happen, you know, uh, because a lot of the stuff that is going to happen is going to be completely mundane. You know, you know, you might have to spend a few months in a place uh, to to see something spectacular, but there's going to be a lot of little things, you know, little things, and a lot of the little things are kind of what we're looking for on the map. The stuff that people would normally shrug off and walk away, and uh, <laughs> you know, not um, not give a second thought to, and not want to talk about with anybody, you know. So. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people also feel the need to try to embellish their story or not want to tell it because they don't think it's fantastic enough. Right. You know, right. and that it's important to remember that, um, you know, it's part of your story. And the, the fact that it is your story, the, the fact that it is something you can't account for is means it's something we want to hear, you know, <laughs> doesn't, yeah. doesn't have to be crazy. You know, it just, uh, uh, more data for the map, you know. Right, because that, that's kind of yeah, that's the point of it is to collect the data, collect the stories, collect the different kinds of stories. And I mean, just the these these events are just as um, unique as people, you know, the, as unique as the people that experience them. Right, right. Um, I mean, I I grew up in a house that I would consider haunted, and you would, uh, you know, too, yeah, yeah, and. If somebody tells asks you what happened there, it's like, well, where 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 do I start? You know, I could <laughs> I could talk to you all day about stuff that happened there, but a lot of it seems pretty boring. You know, it's a lot of small things that added up over time, and a few bigger things, but you know, it's um, it's uh, all those all those little things kind of add up. Let's talk about. The Ashtar Command transmissions. So on your blog, blog, AP Strange, you have a three-part blog post called The Curious Case of the Fish Doctor and the Man from Ashtar Command. Yep. 
Yep, that's uh, that's something I've spent the better part of my time researching in the past year, and it's a story I just kind of stumbled on. Um, at the uh, at the beginning of the interview, I was talking about updating that periodically, uh, the the blog that is, and uh, when I when I started it, I didn't have a particular direction I was going in with it, and. Uh, all the time I had been uh, do, doing research on on various aspects of the paranormal, I had also made the acquaintance of of uh, my good friend Steve Mills in in um, in England. He lives in Coventry and started to unfold this story about the uh, broadcast interruption in 1977 on the southern. Uh, Southern England. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I had to plug in the computer. It was dying. Uh, <laughs> we don't want that to happen. On my so. end too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a lot of people know that story. It's it's a it, it's a pretty famous one. It makes the rounds usually in November because that's the anniversary of it. November 26, 1977. At 5:12 p.m. on on the uh, uh, the news program transmitted to Southern London was interrupted by a broadcast from uh, Ashtar Galactic Command. So th- this was the starting point for me. I found this video, and Steve had a had a huge story to tell about it. So it's been kind of between me interviewing him about the investigation that he did with it to kind of his mentor Rex Dutta who is uh who was a ufologist and theosophist from the time and a fish doctor notably a fish doctor also uh Uh, okay so is there uh, more to what a fish doctor does than just saying that he's a fish doctor okay this is I I had to use the term fish doctor because I feel like that I feel like that draws you in, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. And the story okay. just gets weirder and weirder the more you you look at it. But uh, you know, Rex Rex had so much going on in his bio that uh, you know, Fish Doctor seems like as good a place to start as any. That was kind of his main. He referred to it as his bread and butter. He ran a fish a fish tank. Well, fish tanks Ltd. It was a, a fish shop aquarium on Blandford Street in London, and um, he specialized on in nursing fish back to health. Uh, there's a video in the in the Pathé archives that uh, Steve had sent me when he first started telling me about Rex, and it's just called Fish Heartbeats. And I remember he sent me the video, and I said, "What the hell is this?" And I just I, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, "Okay." I thought maybe it would be something kind of goofy and funny and but no there's rex and his wife olive in the video and they show how they nurse fish back to health by monitoring the heart rate and um and kind of giving them more oxygen because he could tell that the heart the heart rate was too high but with the with the sophisticated equipment he had in 1953 and he's administering doses of oxygen to the fish and um and and helping it you know, to breathe better and the heart rate slows and, uh, and, and then the fish is good as new. 
So, <laughs> I mean, he was an expert on on exotic fish and fish care. He wrote wrote twenty books about the subject. That's the fish doctor, right? And he was known around the world too, which yeah. ends up being important because he had a lot of very wealthy customers and a lot of you know high high level connections around the world because people relied on him for their fish and advice on fish. Was so, he a pioneer? In the world of fish doctoring, he is actually um, still considered by a lot of people that that keep aquariums with exotic fish. I guess. I mean, uh, Steve has told me even recently people that he's he's met that keep fish and as pets that will recognize the name. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you started corresponding with this guy Steve, who actually uh, used to be friends with this guy Rex. And Rex was, and they were both also investigating this newscast interruption that you were, they had in the past. And I guess Rex was interested in it because he was a part of a a radio call-in show in 1971 that had had something similar happen or not, not interrupted, but had a a call from some being that was similar. Well, it was claimed to be, it was a little bit of both because well, Rex's interest in UFOs started in 1954. Uh, I was able to figure out that from from a, uh, a theosophy obituary, a theosophy publication obituary, that his mother actually gave him a copy of Flying Saucers of Landed by Adam Ski and Leslie in 1954, which began his interest in UFOs and simultaneously theosophy. His mother and his wife were already members of the Theosophical Society in London. And um, he kind of dove into the UFO subject and theosophy simultaneously because one explained the other very well for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so by 1971, he had already written a book called Flying Saucer Viewpoint. That came out in 1970, and it, 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 it shows, you know, I have... Uh, I have all three of his saucer books, so that brings the total of all his books to 23, which is a significant number for me. Uh, the the um, when he was on the radio show in 1971, it was on the heels of of Flying Saucer Viewpoint coming out. Okay. So he had already written a book about UFOs when he was on this program, and that's why he was there. So it was a call-in radio show where they wanted calls from the public related to flying saucers. Um, it seems like the producer and the assistant producer and the host of the show were all treating it as, well, this will be a fun little thing to do, and you know we'll get we'll get some interest generated and get a lot of calls, and our ratings will go up. You know, I guess it was a relatively new new radio station at the time or a new show. But the call that came in actually blocked all the channels on the uh, on the mixing board, so it was coming through all all of them simultaneously. And whenever the voice, okay, the, you know, whenever the voice from outer space would speak, none of the dials would register audio. So um, the the engineers were flabbergasted because they couldn't cut the call. And they couldn't um, they couldn't see it on the dials. Whenever he talked, whenever the assistant producer would talk, they could see it. So what they did is they broadcast advertisements while the assistant producer talked, and that was just 
the the assistant producer basically interviewed the man from outer space. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, there's a tra- and that, there's a transcript of that. Yes, we have a transcript of it only thanks to Rex because there was also a tape made. Right, that's lost. So, yeah, nobody knows where the tape is. But Rex supposedly heard it. He did. Yeah, the first time that Steve went to Rex's house, um, they were actually investigating the radio call, and the there was there was an engineer there that had the tape of of the call from outer space, and so Steve has actually heard the tape before. He heard it that day, and I would have. We both kind of assumed that Rex had a copy of it, but nobody knows where this recording is now, uh, unless it's stashed away in archives somewhere. Uh, I hold out hope that there's going to be eventually have it. It'll pop up in some internet archive, but uh, it would be amazing to actually hear it. Yeah, it's 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 possible. Um, you know, a couple years ago, a, a recording, elusive recording that I was looking for, finally came to light in the public so you never know man yeah yeah it's some, some weirdo had the tape and didn't know what it was and then <laughs> finally listened to it put it on put it on the internet so that, that was n- that was 1971 yep correct and then there's another there's a more famous one though that actually did get recorded right that that actually was yeah, a, that, a, satell- yeah. a satellite interruption on television yeah yeah, the one on the television was 1977. Okay. So that's what's kind of interesting is Steve meets Rex in the meantime, and they're they're investigating this radio call from 1971. And then uh, before, uh, you, you know, in the midst of their friendship and getting to know each other. So, you know, Rex is much older than Steve. Steve was about 18 at the time. So um, he considered himself kind of a protege of Rex. And... And while they're investigating this 1971 uh, interference, they they this would be about 1975, 76, and then the 77 one happened after that. So they ended up investigating that together, pretty much more in real time. You know, they were able to <laughs> to go check it out right after it happened, rather than tracking down a tape four yeah. or five years after the event. You know, do they say that the and, voice sounded similar? Yeah, the voice sounded similar. Steve described it at one point as um, uh, it had an effect that he called a harmonizer, which he said didn't exist in 1971. But it, it's something that would be used on a um, uh, on like a rock and roll album. Yeah, like a, a vocoder. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or just some, it's not even doesn't even have to be a vocoder. It's just some kind of weird processor like. I definitely think it could have existed in 71, no problem. Right. Um, I hear, I've heard things from 71 with all kinds of weird vocal effects. Right. And you can, yeah, you know, and like Doctor Who was around back then and there was yeah. a lot of um, a lot of those weird kind of voices on. Especially England, you got the uh, BBC Radiophonic Workshop. I mean, they were doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, the, I mean, there were a lot of weird things about both interferences that would have made it really hard for it to be manufactured as a prank by somebody, you know? So there's a lot of really suspicious stuff around both. Um, and if anybody wants to hear the 1977 ITV disruption, just, you know, plug that into the Google, Google machine 
and there are videos on YouTube, <laughs> and and you can kind of hear what the voice sounds like to to um, to get it. Now you can't really make out what what the voice is saying. At least I can't. But there are transcripts of that as well, and yeah. some of the some of the parts of it are, are debated over what exactly he's saying. You know, so okay. Um, can you kind of summarize to, the the message of it, or or I know you can you probably got some of the actual text too, but I do have it pulled up too. So what's what's the general gist of it? It's well in 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 theme, it's it's very close to what you would expect from any of the um, the contactees of the fifties. Very much in line with 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 uh you know humanity needs to save itself and abandon war and nuclear armament and stuff like that um the uh, the the basic crux of it is is very much in line with with a lot of the uh the traditional ashtar stuff that mm-hmm. you would have gotten in the in the giant rock days with van tassel and uh robert short and all those guys so um this all had 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 a very strong meaning for Rex because he's looking at it through the lens of of theosophy. So, um, it, you know, you know, he he's it all makes sense to him, and he goes in great depth in his book, or in his three books about about what the flying saucer message is. To him, it's it's a. Uh, it's basically the dawning of the age of Aquarius and moving into the next root race of people, you know, the, the next evolution of mankind. So um, is, is he bringing so in the whole like ascended masters concept into this? Absolutely. That's totally what he's doing. <laughs> he sees the same message basically from. Yeah. So this is yeah. like a channeled text, but it's. Yeah. Well, and, th- this and, is yeah, the same. Like, Sorry, this is the same concept and same idea that 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 Greenfield has, talking oh, about yeah. Greenfield about the secret cipher of the Euphonauts, and this whole idea that the, the third order, as he terms it, or maybe that others have termed it, are actually these ascended masters that were spoken of in Theosophy, and they're the same beings that contacted Adam King and Van Tassel and all these guys and. Then yeah, the secret really... cipher goes into all the Thelema stuff too, and yeah, and I mean George uh, George Adamski and and Desmond Leslie in Flying Saucers have landed reference a lot of Theosophical stuff anyway. You know, they, there's um, uh, I actually really have no idea how to pronounce it. Design the the design papers or I do not know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's among uh, it's among the many things that are supposed to be um derived from from madame blavatsky mm-hmm. and uh and, and you know like the lost continent of Mu and stuff like that yeah but uh they they were supposed to have come from tibetan masters uh, the tibetan masters and and um uh, you know that stuff gets heavily referenced and of course, you know, Adamski had his own kind of temple, yeah, out there, and you know, you know, where, where the observatory was. So yeah, was, uh, that, was that Palomar? Yep. Yeah, Mount yep. Palomar. Yeah. Yeah, it was the Royal Order of Tibet. I yep. think was the name there's, of it. 
There, <laughs> there was also associations with Mount Shasta. Right. I got Guy Ballard. And yeah, there's Pelley so many interesting. Yeah. There, there's so many interesting things. I mean, it, the when you start to go into a rabbit hole like this, and you you wonder how how some of this stuff is possible, and you look at the characters involved, you start looking at all the ancillary stuff around it. Um, mm. One thing that we've been trying to track down is reports in Liverpool in 1975 of of flying saucers appearing on TV screens that interrupted the transmission. Okay. And, and in some cases, the TVs weren't even on. So the flying saucer would just appear on the screen with a TV that wasn't even on at the time. Um, so, so, okay, the but, flying saucer itself would appear on the screen? Is it like a yeah, film pe- of the flying saucer? <laughs> well, people people would see, people were reporting them outside, and then apparently, apparently these alien craft and messages were coming through on people's TV screens, and it's even TVs that weren't even on at the time. And That's something we're, the- we're, we're trying to verify, but this is a story that was reported on by Rex at the time in his magazine. Which we can't get our hands on because I can't find any copies anywhere. His magazine was called Viewpoint Aquarius. Yep, yep. And you you can't find any copies. I can find some later ones on eBay, um, but not not from the seventies. I think the Edmonton Theosophical Society has a complete collection, so I might have to hit them up. Take care. I may have to become a theosophist in order to get my hands on <laughs> well, and, of this now. And Rex I'm was to take that risk. Yeah, and Rex wasn't just a casual theosophist. I mean, he was uh, his mentor was uh, Edward Gardner, yep. uh, who's a pretty big English theosophist. And then he became, I guess later on in 83, uh, you, you say that he became the chairman of the Mahatma Letters Trust, which was... Uh, charged with keeping and studying the Mahatma letters to A.D. Sinet, which were some of these channel texts that Theosophy was based on. Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, that was Sinet's research for a book that he was releasing. Blavatsky never wanted those letters actually published. She wanted him to draw from them, and I guess he ended up publishing it anyway, or it got published posthumously, but those actual letters themselves are held at the British Museum, and Rex was the custodian of those and the chairman of the trust there. And he actually, during his time there, got them all put onto uh, slides and did lectures and presentations with them and made copies for for different people around the world. So he was he was pretty popular in theosophy. He was well-known as a... As a uh, <coughs> um, for, the, for that work that he did. But he was also kind of well known in in ufology, at least in England, because it's like you don't hear a lot of people talk about him now. Um, when Steve first would mention Rex to me, it was almost as though I should know who he is, and I would just do like, okay, Google search Rex Dutta. Yeah, <laughs> I'm coming up with a few titles of books, but that was about it, you know. It's all about so, fish doctoring. Well, I wasn't even coming up with that at first. It's like he's he's almost like he's a ghost online, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I had to do a lot of work to find all the information I did about him. Do you think that the Osphists were finding a lot of utility in the UFO phenomenon? Like it would be a good uh, a good front to get people eventually into these more spiritual ideas, and that's why they like. It seems like they encouraged Rex to 
to connect those and to kind of popularize theosophy and these type of ideas through the UFO phenomenon? Um, well, I, I think it worked in a lot of yeah. ways, but I mean, uh, it did tend to work out that way. I think, uh, I, I think within theosophy of a lot of different, uh, points of view and they're generally accepting of, of people's, um, presentation as long as it conveys the message uh the of the of the core tenets of of you know i guess there was a split in in the in the societies of theosophy at one point or at more than one point <laughs> but because yeah, uh, you got rudolf steiner and anthropos and can't even say that right you know that's that's right. a that's an offshoot of theosophy because he figured he thought that the theosophists were too racist or something like that Right, and there was a there was a whole other thing with with uh, Ledbetter. There was a division there with, with that guy. So, um, so I think within the societies, they 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 they, um, they kind of give people a lot of leeway to express themselves the way they want to. You know, uh, I think it I think it was fortuitous for them. It kind of worked out. Spread the the, the theosophical ideas to. Um, to the ufological people. So a lot of what Rex has to say is very new agey and it sounds, um, sounds, sounds a bit dated <laughs> when you, when you look at it, but I have to say, you know, it makes a weird kind of sense to me. I can, I can see where he's coming from. And, uh, I, I do a lot of respect for the guy and what, what he did. Um, and, uh, having, having talked with, with Steve extensively about all this stuff, it's like he and I have become good friends and I almost feel like we're continuing in a tradition of, of, uh, of, of an investigation that Rex never actually ended up publishing as far as anyone knows. He, he didn't seem to ever get around to, uh, publishing his findings on the 77 interruption because uh, there was no book past that point, you know? So what, what did Rex and Steve start to find out? What was some of the things that they that they found out about these transmissions? Was there anything that they thought well, maybe it could have come from this particular person or this particular group? Like, what was it that well, kind of there, led them down that path? Yeah, there were there were some some suspects. I mean, the uh, it seemed like most of the news and media at the time was just trying to brush it off as some kind of prank, you know? Right. Um, right. and they wanted, they wanted it to disappear from the news as quickly as possible. So right away, it almost seems like a cover up, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, I think within a few days they had reported that it was a few college kids in Hampshire that, um, that, that had about 80 pounds worth of kit, quote unquote, had, had overpowered the transmitter and, and sent out the signal as a prank. So that's you know five five and a half minutes of a very distorted um, <laughs> voice that interrupted the the um, interrupted the video and audio for five separate transmitters spanning a section of the country that's about fifteen fifteen hundred square miles. You know, uh, it's kind of a lot to do and from what Rex and Steve were able to figure out from one of the engin engineers yeah. was making a conservative estimate that it would take about uh, you know a couple flatbeds worth of car batteries to produce the 
amount of power that you would need right. to overpower the tra- main transmitter. Yeah, something just and even ridiculous. If they did, yeah. Right. And even if they did, they would be able to switch it off, you know. As it stood, sort of like in the radio disruption, when when that was when that interruption was coming through on people's TV screens, the people at ITV, uh, their monitors just showed Ivor Mills, the news presenter, giving his his um, prod, his broadcast, just reading his cards like normal, and showing the commercials and everything like normal. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, everybody at home is hearing a hearing a message from Ashtar Galactic Command, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and people started yeah. calling in and complaining, and that's the only reason they knew. So if it was a hoax, it would either have to be like an inside thing, right? Like someone was inside of the the station, or it was something that the normal prankster, some kind of technology, they probably wouldn't have access to. Something really expensive. Yeah, yep. Um, so the the only other option, I think. Other than <clears throat> if you rule out if you rule out space aliens and you rule out a prankster and you rule out somebody in inside the station, which Steve and Rex kind of both did because they were able to check the employment records at at at, um, at some of these places and it didn't seem like anybody got fired or left in a hurry or that there were any redundancies in the staff. So you would think somebody would have would have would have disappeared, you know. Yeah, the thought being the thought being that the television station just handled it quietly internally. Yeah, exactly because certainly nobody was talking. They they were all under a um, they, they were they were all under under orders to say no comment under threat of losing their job over over everything that happened. So there was there was this whole shroud of silence over everything. Um, that uh, you know is kind of weird in itself and. Uh, so I mean, the the conclusion, if you rule out all that other stuff, um, that would mean either a foreign power did it, which yeah. would have been a, a a real problem, or it was or it was um, the the uh, the English government itself testing the readiness of the of of the independent broadcasters in the south south of England, you know, just seeing if testing out something to see if it would work to test readiness there. That's you an know. interesting way to do it, though. Especially pick yeah. something up that obscure, like Ashtar. Yeah, do something <laughs> that ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Um, and have it come up, you know, it comes up on, um, you'll, uh, I see the video pop up on Twitter or, or, you know, weird Facebook groups where they share stuff all the time. And people just laugh it off and they say, oh, yeah, that was a funny prank that somebody did. You know, and uh, but when you look into the details of it, it's nobody's ever figured out who that who that was. And you would think somebody would admit it eventually, too, for just for bragging rights. You know, somebody usually comes out of the woodwork and and will admit to a hoax (laughs) or a deathbed confession or something like that. But no, it's that's never happened. So. um, So it's all all very interesting. The foreign power and political implications is real interesting because, of course, you know, a lot of those contactees were investigated for possible connections to the USSR. And the whole message of a lot of the Space Brothers is, you know, what a lot of people would think would be communistic. Uh, And Theosophy, you know, has its own conspiracies uh, relating to 
um, Indian independence. So there's a lot of implications in that too, for it being some kind of political operation or disinfo operation. Yeah. And I mean, um, like I said, Rex was pretty connected. I mean, he was actually in, um, he was in British intelligence during world war two. So, I mean, he probably would have been, he was privy to a lot of things that other people wouldn't necessarily be, you know, um, he, he was, he was in Dunkirk and actually, you know, lost part of his leg there, but he was working for British intelligence. So, um, so he tended to have a lot of connections all over the place. So the cover story of a few college students using kit to overpower the transmitter, he was able to figure out that was, that was a lie right off the bat. Cause he knew the police in the area and was able to <laughs> check their arrest logs and nobody had been arrested, you know? Um, so nobody was caught and dealt with there. Um, it seems like something bigger was going on, you know, and Rex kind of gets into that, the, the weird transition between, uh, how, how UFOs and flying saucers and contact was all viewed in the fifties moving forward. You know, he has, he has these ideas that it was all reported on pretty freely all over the world. And then almost simultaneously everywhere in the world, they all stopped reporting on it. And then when they did report on it again, there was a lot of ridicule. So when you're getting into the later 60s and into the 70s, there's a lot of ridicule and a slow turn towards the aliens are always hostile. Mm-hmm. So, so so to him, it was almost like a giant, you know, these are times where world powers couldn't agree on mu- much of anything, but they could agree that they weren't going to talk about aliens. they weren't going to talk about space brothers and then when they did talk about it they were going to discredit witnesses and contactees and they were going to uh ridicule people who hold any belief in it you know and then as time went on all of a sudden aliens flying saucers and well you know ufo began to replace the word flying saucer and and abductions became uh, more in the forefront, so it started viewing it more as a threat than than a friendly contact from 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 the stars trying to guide us in the right direction. You know, it is kind of interesting to think about. I mean, the, yeah, the evolution the, of that idea. You know, yeah, there was that shift around about probably late seventies, early eighties. You start seeing the grays just start taking over. And then, of course, it's crazy because that's when the Cold War really heats up again. Yeah, that's a good point. And of course, the com- communion comes out in the late '80s, and that yeah. pretty much sets the standard. Intruders was another book that came out around that time, right? And that sets the whole. You know, the, there was the TV movie version of that, and the popularity of the gray, just because the, the one uniform set creature. You know, and then and we kind of have that in recent times more of that smattering of like the reptilians, but it's interesting to see that because the, the accounts that you get from the forties all the way to the seventies are different kinds of creatures. There's an assortment of them. Right. And then all of a sudden you have this just major shift. And, um, I would look at that and I would just say that this is just this phenomenon, whatever drives the UFO phenomenon 
reflecting back what it thinks we want to say. And I think, and I think especially yeah. in the West, I think popular culture drives that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with all of that, but suppose there's people that know that and how that works and they want to drive the narrative one way or the other. Right. Yeah. And right. kind of force the phenomenon's hand to take a form <laughs> that's scarier, you know? That, yeah. That's a possibility. I mean, you know, what you're talking about there is a kind of form of, well, that's magic. I mean, you know, there's, there's some probably yep. an occultism connection to that, that kind of concept. Maybe people trying to contact different kinds of things. Right. 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 Yeah. And, you know, drawing down one energy or another, you know, um, around that time, uh, it was, it was also, I mean, Steve tends to think that the reason Rex never came out with publishing the, the 77 investigation is um, there, there was a there was kind of a divide in ufology at the time, you know, with um, people like Gordon Crichton and stuff trying, tending to believe that aliens had something to do with demons and stuff. So the demonic alien was becoming a, an idea. And if you weren't on that side, you were on the uh, more nuts and bolts end of thing. Yeah. So so Rex's kind of new age, age of Aquarius and like spiritual space brother idea was. He was out of style. Yeah, he was kind of just pushed off to the side, you know, because he wasn't part of that divide. I think you see a lot of that nowadays too. I mean, I. I, I think there's a lot more overlap and a lot more open-minded people, but there's still a lot of people that like to argue and people that are very firmly in a nuts and bolts camp and people that are very firmly in a more esoteric camp, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's um, it, really, honestly, I, I think that it's starting to merge. I think, I think so too. I think but... that, um, I think that, well, first I think it of always all, has merged, though. I mean, this, yeah. these ideas have have always there have always been people that are willing to see it in a more holistic way, where it, right, it's it's not if and or, you know, it's it could be nuts and bolts sometimes, but also, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could be yeah. could be ghosts another time, you know. Uh, these days, like scrolling through Twitter, some days I feel like, you know, it's one half TTSA, one half Hellier. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's a good point. And those fights aren't going uh, you know yeah. those are extremes but, you know but even ttsa even uh they like to use the whole interdimensional label too they're not are, are they're not uh going full extraterrestrial anymore yeah calling it the advanced aerial threats and all that so even yeah. they're start, even they're starting to kind of you know say that well hey we can't really say that that this could not they're starting to make room for a different uh, belief in what this, yeah. these things could be. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm not gonna venture too far down that road, but I was just using them as an example. You know, it's yeah. just kind of uh, yeah more the, the metaphorical TTSA. A lot of the people that are that are inspired. So, I mean, I'm talking more about the fans of, you know, a lot of the people right. that are inspired right. to look into things more because of TTSA are very nuts and bolts leaning, you know? Right. Yes. I, I would they say want, your average person. They want yeah, documents, they, photos, alien metamaterials, you know? Yeah, the metamaterials. We want some kind of, we want some kind of, uh, 
of wreckage or something like that that we can right. and, use to and, say that you know concretely that there were such things as aliens. Did uh did Rex have any other um like unique observations or or takes on the phenomenon that you that you think are real kind of special or particular to him? Um yeah, I mean uh I like other than maybe like know, the theosophical how, stuff. The theosophical stuff, yeah. I mean, I don't know how particular that is to him other than he was applying the um the messages from from space to <laughs> uh to to the ideas that theosophy already had, you know. Um so I mean, he did believe we were on the cusp of 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 a uh, new age of man, you know. And um, his predecessor and guru Gardner thought the same thing, and uh, in his time he was applying it more to fairies and and that kind of thing, you know. Um, uh, there was something that Steve told me that he felt that Rex uh, Rex looked at both events, both interruptions as as sort of a cosmic joke. Um, so that that kind of gets to the idea of of um of the phenomenon kind of toying with you and having trickster, a deep yeah. part yeah the trickster idea which i think i think he was really in his element when he was dealing with that kind of thing he also had ideas about um nuclear power and the radiation from from nuclear power that that um was actually you know causing causing some of these effects you know, and and actually harming harming the nature of reality. So that's interesting. Yeah. So that's... so the reality itself was being a bit rent by nuclear waste and and the use of nuclear power. Did he did he think that nuclear weapons and testing like the explosions did some kind of weird thing to to the physics of reality? Yeah, yeah, he did. Okay. Um, so we've so, heard those kind of ideas before. Yep. Right. Yeah. And this was stuff he was talking about in the eighties and there was obviously a lot of, um, there was a, a lot of, a lot of anxiety about that then. And, uh, it's funny cause like Strieber does talk about that a lot. He was going through a lot of anxiety about that in communion. Yeah. He was uh, writing that, war day at the time, I think. When right. He, right. Yeah. He was in the process of writing about it and having nightmares about it and stuff. So, uh, I think the nukes are part of it, and um, Steve and I talking to each other would extend that further. And the idea that uh, you know electricity or the use of radar might might actually um, interrupt the magnetics of the Earth and allow for these thin places to have a little bit of a bigger gap for things to get through. You know, that's very so. interesting, unique, yeah. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. Though it's funny, a lot of that would happen a lot in the '70s, where um, there was a book I was reading called "Alien Animals" by Janet and Colin Board, who used to write for the Fourteen Times and stuff like that. Uh, they they were interested in the ideas of ley lines, but they also thought a lot of cryptids appeared near uh, electrical power sources, and they wondered if electrical grids being uh, spread out more and radio waves being more more uh more prevalent could contribute to interdimensional entities coming through you know 
then a lot of those contactees were just using radio, shortwave radio, and they were saying they were communicating with things through that. Exactly. Yeah, little ham radios at Giant Rock, and then you have the Integratron that. <laughs> right. Yep. It, it, that was was the logical extreme of that. Um, but it all comes down to tones and frequencies. It's like that quote that's attributed to Tesla. Um, uh, tones and frequencies. That's may, maybe just music. You know, maybe music would do it. Which you know that does get back to the Hellier thing too. Yeah. But, but it, you know, um, the same year of that interruption, Close Encounters, Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out, and yep, there, there you have, uh, and there you have, and that, that's how they communicated with them at, at the uh, Devil's Tower was through a, a melody, you know. It's a <laughs> tones, frequency, vibration. It, it, I, I think that all has a lot to do with it personally. Well, it reminds me you're talking about cryptids being brought in. It reminds me of the the stuff from uh, the Rebirth of Pan about the yeah. where he talks about the lovers things happening in Lovers Lane or like things happening in trailer parks because they're essentially like organ and accumulators. Yeah, <laughs> and that causes some idea. kind. So, uh, some kind of, so causes some kind of hole in the environment where these things are able to come through. Yeah. And, so suppose uh, those guys were all onto something with just radio waves and just uh, power lines causing yeah. these kind of effects. And nowadays we have, you know, wireless internet everywhere. We have Bluetooth and we have 4G going on to 5G, um, cellular technology. <laughs> You got to imagine that if if just basic electromagnetism has a an effect, and uh, radio waves have an effect, then what is all the other stuff going to do? It's those you know? five five G AI demons that are coming, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I, I kind of feel, in a sense, though, that a lot of that that you just listed really keeps us distracted from really. Like if we turned all that off, I th- I feel like we'd almost see more things because we'd be more aware of our environment than if we didn't have those those different items. Yeah, I mean that is a really good point. But I guess yeah. those are those are like uh, you talk about how it's it's related to the ideas of channeling, whether it's a a person being an antenna using a you know a person using dowsing rods or someone having a text channeled through them. Or people right. were experimenting with radio and, and ghost boxes and all these kind of ideas. They were kind of this all the same thing in the minds of people while this technology was being developed. And you had spiritualism and its offshoots happening and at the same right. time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was, it was that time for that to happen. Well, but, you, you know... know uh, it, it's also the idea that people are able to talk to each other more quickly about the things they're seeing beca- mm-hmm. as yes. a result of yeah. the communication. Yeah. So did the communication cause uh, anomalous phenomena or were people able to talk about it more quickly with each other? <laughs> well, you know, I was going to, I was, I was going to bring up that, you know, Edison around that same time, you know, he had this whole idea to build a machine that he could speak to the dead. Right. So this wasn't and, uh, actually something that you could say that they, you know, Edison is not somebody that's considered a crockpot. 
you know, our crackpot. That's that's not someone that you would say, hey, that guy's crazy. But like the actual right. idea that that maybe through this technology, maybe we could actually reach something. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Tesla, I think, had had reported communicating with uh, entities. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what he called them. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Tesla and Edison both had that kind of experience, or at least that idea in their heads. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to wonder where these ideas come from. The, the, throughout history, you have people, I mean, uh, that seem to have an idea that comes out of nowhere. Almost like it was put in their head, you know. Uh, Rex Rex actually recounts the tale of uh, Robert Oppenheimer when they were doing a test of a nuclear bomb, realizing that the way they were going to test the where they were going to test a hydrogen bomb was going to cause a tra- chain reaction that could end all life on Earth. <laughs> he only realized it because of a dream that he had, you know, and. Um, uh, you know, in Rex's mind, that was put there by the Space Brothers. They interceded and put that dream in his head, so that to to keep him from blowing up the planet. You know, uh, but that kind of thing has happened throughout the history of science. It's a lot of people just seem inspired by something that came to them in a dream. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, you do get that a lot. That does happen quite quite a lot. So, wh- what's your personal take on these two transmissions, though? I mean, do you have a, do you have an opinion or something that you really lean towards? They seem to be related, you know. Uh, they seem to be. I I would venture to guess the same entity, uh, whatever that entity may be. I mean, uh, Steve doesn't entirely rule out that uh, Rex could have conspired to have these things happen himself, but he didn't think so. He said it wasn't really in his character to do such a thing, but, but I mean that's also a possibility. Suppose with his connections, the fact that he was kind of involved on those levels would be kind of funny. But yeah. I think it's just I think it's just a cosmic joke, you know. I think, uh, I I think that the trickster loves a hoax, and the trickster loves. Uh, um, fitting itself in somewhere where it's never going to be taken seriously. You know, <laughs> uh, the, I mean, the, the 77 interruption happened in between the series on ITV that spawned the whole alternative three idea. And when close oh, encounters, okay. the third kind came out, you know, it was around that same time, you know, people were already primed for a prank because of, because I think that was the same year. It was April of '77 that that program came out. That uh, that or it was supposed to be April. You're right. It, it, was be April. Because, it was supposed to be April because it was supposed to because it was an 1st. April Fool's Day. Yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be an April Fool's Day joke, but because of a strike at ITV, it got pushed back. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, there was already you know bogus alien programming out there. And then this happens right after, you know, a couple months after. So it's, uh, I, I, I think, you know, whether it's people from space, it's, um, you know, Rex, Rex kind of puts them as just kind of etheric consciousnesses, you know, not necessarily physical flesh and blood, blood beings from Venus, but, you know, uh, entities that are around, you know, 
and I, I don't think that's I don't think that's beyond the pale. If you watch that video and listen to it, your first impression is just this can't be real. The, this is some kind of this is some kind of prank. It actually looks like something that would happen on an episode of Doctor Who or something like that, you know. But um, but there doesn't seem to be great explanations for it, as far as I'm concerned. And I I, I like to lean toward a wackier concept. I like to have a worldview where where some of these uh, really outrageous things are possible. So sure. um, so I don't know. But yeah, I did, really didn't. Did Van Tassel have any followers out there? Was there was there a com- yeah, was there how a did the okay. actual Ashtar command yeah. people react to it? Because I'm sure well, that they Van were the Tassel first had, ones to be suspected. Van Tassel had already abandoned the Ashtar command stuff by so that no, point. No one was carrying that torch at that time. I don't think so. Possibly Reverend Bob Short of the Blue Rose Ministries, and a lot of the best information I got about the stuff came from a book that he released back in like 2012, I think uh, message out of the stars by, by Robert short. Um, so I wasn't really, I didn't realize who he was when I bought the book. I just knew it has some information that, that I needed. And um, Adam go rightly actually has a pretty good, like it's, it's more of a, more of an obituary, I guess, but he has a good write up on him on the chasing UFOs blog. Okay. Um, very interesting character, but he was there at Giant Rock with Van Tassel, and he kind of he he kind of adopted some of the Ashtar channel stuff, um, and Van Tassel ended up ended up uh, he ended up he ended up not using it in his writings anymore after I think like 1957 or 58. So by the 70s. Negative. to remember this is also uh, in the UK and not not the US where Van Tassel was. Um, you had George King was was uh, the the um, the Aetherius Society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That guy over there, you know, he was kind of the UK version. <laughs> so he may have been using that. And uh, seventy seven was also around the same time that Tuella comes on the scene as the main channel for Ashtar Galactic Command. Um, so, uh, you know, Robert Short writes about it in his book and takes it all very seriously. He thinks that it actually is thought transference from a flying saucer that, that, uh, um, that caused both the the interruptions in both cases and does briefly mention the Liverpool stuff. Um, but you know, that's, that's also a guy that that claims to be channeling aliens. So, (laughs) uh, um, um, where was I going with that train of thought? Yeah. That's around the time Tuella takes over with that. And, and like I said, at the beginning of this, it's, there's a lot of debate over exactly how, how the voice identifies itself in the 77 interruption. So, uh, you can't make it out. So the name itself sometimes is Vrilon, which you know sounds a lot like the Vril Society and right. that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's written as Grahama or Gahama. Uh huh. <laughs> it sounded like Vrilon to me, but I guess that's yeah. probably because I was reading the text at the same time. I've also seen front loaded. 
Yeah, I've also seen Trillion, and I've also seen um, what was the other one? Asteron. So that's a way cooler name. Asteron. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's. So I mean, and then for the Ashtar Galactic Command part, I think he actually only says Ashtar Command, but that's transcribed a couple different ways too, depending on where you go. Hmm. Um. And then in the seventy-one in the, in the seventy-one radio interview part, he never actually the voice doesn't identify itself at all. It just says it's calling, you know, from outer space. <laughs> and uh, when when they do talk to it, uh, the assistant producer just refers to a, the voice as "sir," like "how are you doing, sir?" And then the voice just becomes "sir," you know, <laughs> then no identification and no explanation beyond that. Which that had a real trickster element to it. It was kind of like messing with the dude. Yeah, it seemed that way. Um, that 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 whole conversation is really wild, and I I couldn't help but chuckle when I was reading it the first time, because it really did seem like a comedy routine to me. You know, uh, especially you know towards the end, he asks him, "How can I reach you?" Next time, you know, he yeah. says, "Call outer space." Call, call outer space sometime. <laughs> and he's just like, "How do I call you?" And the voice says, "You can call me sir." And he goes, "How do I call you, sir?" And he says, "You can call me sir any way you like. I don't mind. Anyway, I must return to space." <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds to me like a bit between Groucho Marx and Chico Marx. You know, it's just yeah. where. You know, Chekhov can't understand what he's saying because he he's speaking English as a second language. You know, <laughs> man, oh, that's that is so fascinating. Like, how uh, you've done three blog entries on this? Are you going to be digging a lot more into it? Yeah, uh, I have another one that I'm working on. It does get into a bit of a Discordian angle with it. Yes, um, getting back into the Adam Gorelli stuff because he had. This is this is a lot of information that came at me when I figured I was pretty much done researching it and was ready to write it up in a blog. Uh, a lot of new information dropped in my face. So I, I found uh, Go Rightly had tweeted an article that he wrote a while back about Robert Anton Wilson and um, receiving signals from, from Sirius during a, yeah. the Sirius star system and uh, corresponding with Timothy Leary. Yep. And this was around 1975 that Wilson wrote an article with the headline "Awaiting Awaiting Messages from Galactic Central Command" or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so him and and Greg Hill were were anticipating messages from outer space to be on TV and radio all over the world, and this is in 1975. So they pretty much called it, you know. Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Um... Wilson, Leary, and then wasn't Dick also having things at the same that, time? Yeah, the Vallis right. and yeah. All that. That, the Vallis yeah. stuff was happening right around that time too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so it's a, in the mid seventies is the, a hell of a time for high weirdness. But it, it's funny for there to be a Discordian angle to it to me because um, because I I consider myself Discordian and I, I post a lot of Discordian stuff. <laughs> and that's I think that's how me and Steve became friends in the first place. So it almost feels like a weird full circle I got from Steve on Twitter. He sent me a message that just said, All hail Discordia. 
Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, exactly. I, I gotta but, ask uh, you. I gotta ask you this. All right. Yep. I gotta. We got uh, this. Um, you mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, in light of this, your Discordian stuff. What's your thoughts on Hellier? Oh, my thoughts on Hellier. Yeah. Um. Well, I. When that first came out, I, I I really didn't anticipate it having the impact that that it did um, on me personally and on people everywhere. But I watched it pretty alone, you know, uh, with nobody to really talk to about it. Uh, I had been following the Week in Weird and and the Newkirks online for quite a while before that, and I remember seeing, you know, in the first the first season they they have this synchronicity that that uh with with one of the week and weird articles about the kentucky goblins between carl and greg right it's like i remember reading that article (laughs) so it's like i've been following them for at least that long so when the series finally came out i was just like oh hell yeah it's finally here you know um so i mean i'm a little bit biased but i went into it already ready to eat it up and I, I really do love the show. I love the series. I, I think there's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, uh, I, I, I think it's any anytime you have people stumbling onto the work of John Keel for the first time as a result of something, it's, <laughs> that's, that's a win for the paranormal, I think. And um, And the effect that the series has had on people in their personal lives and in their interpersonal lives and in their view of the world, I think is, uh, is really astounding. And I, I've actually made some pretty great friends via Twitter that I would, you know, would, would consider very good friends now, you know, not just internet people, <laughs> very good friends specifically because of that series, you know? And, um, I actually, had the pleasure of meeting the Newkirks in in Rhode Island right after the series came out the first the first season yeah and and that's kind of what I said to Greg when I first talked to him like are, do you realize how much of an effect this is having on people on the internet <laughs> like look at people's posts on Twitter and stuff like that like the the synchronicities from the show is really spreading like is this something you're hearing a lot you know, and and obviously it just really snowballed. Yeah, you, you you don't see people get that enthusiastic for no reason about something. You know, so I, I yeah. guess you could say I'm a fan. <laughs> I think this. I think the second season though just like took it to a whole new level of well, of, right of weirdness. I mean, it that it, it was uh, the second season was I I loved it. The first season yeah. I mean, it was okay. You know. You well, definitely the get you definitely season, lay in the groundwork, but the second season is just there's so much there. Yeah, they they took it to all the places you really hoped they would. I mean, it definitely doesn't didn't doesn't disappoint. I love that Greenfield's in it. Yeah, uh, and the interview you guys did with Alan Greenfield was was um, pretty mind blowing. I really Thank liked you. that. Thanks a lot. And, that uh, was uh, that was that's a really cool that you got him at the con. It's cool that you got him at the conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's going to be cool. He's going to be there. Well, um, that was a synchronicity for you guys, right? Yeah, there was a synchronicity there too because, like, I I knew that you know the secret cipher was in Hellier, 
But really, I just had wanted to get Greenfield on. Uh, yeah. Somebody else kind of hooked us up with him and one of our other guests. And I, but I, you know, we, we, we do the show and then we put it out the week, the next week. Well, I right. put, we put that show out just as they put season two of Hellier out. Right. Yeah. And and so sudden, you hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. yeah. I remember you guys talking about that. That was, there was a weird synchronicity there for me too, because when I listened to that interview with Greenfield, right at the beginning, you kind of fade in with a conversation about Carrie Thornley. Right. And, um, right. And he was talking about uh, briefly about Operation Mindfuck and stuff like that. Yeah. And I I realized after listening to that for a couple of minutes that now wait a minute the whole reason I got really interested in Discordianism to begin with was an interview I read written by Greenfield like years ago, and I couldn't remember who it was until I heard him talking about it. <laughs> on your show and it was like the fade in he's just like talking about Carrie Thornley and interviewing him in this magazine and they go oh my god that well, was the uh, interview this, that was this the one that the, got me really <laughs> this is the thing where I wanted to kind of go down this rabbit hole a little bit with you is that I, I feel that this email that was sent to the New Kirks just reeks of Operation Mindfuck stuff um I yeah, feel like there is an I feel like there is an element of that, and well, the doing, and that you can right. start that a magical working can start with a hoax, right? Yeah, so, see, that's what yeah you're speaking my language now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so something like what you're studying, you know, it could be something that people put out there to then view, uh, view the ripples that it's going to create, right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I to me a hoax or um, uh, um, a, a hoax is just as intriguing as anything else because a hoax can still carry a, a weight and a power to it that can manifest something real beyond it, and then it becomes a chicken and an egg kind of thing, yep, you know. Yep. <laughs> and it's um, it's really fascinating. Uh, have, are you guys familiar with a guy named Doc Shields? It sounds familiar to me, but I'm not. He's a wizard. He he was a wizard from Cornwall that that uh, conjured the Loch Ness monster back in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. We're gonna have to ask uh, Mark about that. What's that? We've got a friend from Cornwall. Yeah. Oh right, Mark Anthony White. Uh, Mark Anthony White. Yeah, Uh, definitely ask because you're having him on again, right? Yeah, he'll be coming. Yeah, he'll be coming on. Yeah. I think Doc Shales still lives there. He'd be in his 80s now. But um, fascinating character. Obviously very goofy and funny. Um, musician, uh, sleight of hand music, magician, surrealist artist, and monster hunter. <laughs> he had this whole project called Monster Mind where he would hire nude witches to dance on, dance on the beach to summon water beasts. That sounds fun. And, uh, yeah, and I, but I mean, weird stuff does happen, you know, and he claims that he never faked anything. Mm-hmm. He had these photographs, the Owl Man in Cornwall was reported around that time. People think all of it was a hoax, but nevertheless, people do see monsters there, you know. So, um, so, so, you know, is he really a wizard? Is he really creating stuff? And 
only he can really see it, you know, or the people, the people that are seeing things are seeing something that he conjured, right. you know? And of course and that's then, explored a lot in the trickster in the paranormal book. Yeah. Ideas. I have to admit, I haven't gotten around to reading it yet, but I'm just, cra- <laughs> I'm, I'm just cracking it. Man. I'm reading a little ex- excerpts from it that people direct me to, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's examples of that everywhere. I mean, and a lot of people think Loch Ness, the reason there's a monster there was because of Crowley's workings anyway. <laughs> the 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 Abermel and the Mage calling down the higher guardian angel and not completing the ceremony. Right, right. You know? So, um, yeah, it does become... Uh, you, you wonder where the joke stops and and where the reality sets in or vice versa. Yeah. So, I, I, th- I think I, that the, 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 the fun part of that is you don't know, you don't, the, right. it's in the, and of course you're going into liminality, right? Yeah. That's yeah. And you're not no, allowed an in between. That's so I, I get, think, yeah, I think discordianism is a healthy way to look at the paranormal. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, and with this, yeah. this hellier moment, like you know, it. are we going to look back on this moment? kind of like how we look back on that that serious time i mean it seems like a lot of things have happened around the this whole hellier theme in a lot of people's lives a lot of people have documented this so i'm wondering if we're going to look back on this like one of those one of those moments and the secret cipher of the euphonauts is back in play and right i have had my own weird synchronicities with secret cipher i'm in some weird stuff hmm yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've had plenty of uh, plenty of weird stuff happen to me all my life, so I, I tend to take it in stride. But <laughs> but the the hellier thing has kind of kicked it off in a lot of other people. I'm, I'm hesitant to get too excited about uh, about what you might call a synchronicity versus what's just a kind of a coincidence. Um, I don't want to seem like I'm overreacting to anything, but. Sure. Uh, yeah, and there is a lot. It, it does seem like almost a, ge- a general awakening for a lot of people to to ideas and concepts that they maybe wouldn't have explored otherwise. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It, I I hope uh, it's a good thing. I, I hope it's a good thing. There's there's a certain part of me that some of this stuff, or you know, the, a lot of us have been on the fringe of all this for a long time. We've we've known about a lot of these ideas. I just hope it's not going to get too popularized to where it just becomes meaningless. That's that's not my only danger that I could see happening, possibly. Well, I mean, I don't think it will unless the new characters sell out and get a show on a big network and <laughs> yeah. let let those people call the shots. You know, uh, they, they may seem not pretty be adamant yeah. about not doing that. So, well, and, it, uh, and it may not be really. Um this stuff may have a limit to how much can be popularized because it's not um, simply understood. It's kind of for more, you know, intellectual types or, or nerds or whatever, you know, it's, it's right. a little more heady. I think, I think the overall message of Hellier is not to go looking for blue star balloons and uh, tin cans and using, you know, using specifically the secret cipher of the euphonauts. It's, to open your eyes and look at your own personal story yeah. and the, the stories around you using tools that you might not have otherwise thought of. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, right in the first season there, Dana pulling out tarot cards 
while they're out looking for goblins you know, in their downtime doing a tarot card reading about where to find the goblins. Like, that that really hit me because I've always thought tarot should be used in any kind of investigation because why wouldn't you, you know? And uh, I had never actually seen somebody do it before, so that blew me away, you know, yeah. something that small. Yeah, there's and, that uh, cross the cross fertilization there between right and I, i'm seeing a lot of people do that now with uh a lot of our a lot of the getting back to the liminal earth stuff a lot of people a lot a lot of the liminal ambassadors when they go to a place they'll bring cards with them whether it's whether it's tarot cards or um oracle cards and they'll do a quick read on a place when they go and exploring um all these uh all these aspects of of weirdness that that I don't think <laughs> I haven't seen a whole lot of before, you know. Uh, I think the overall message of of Hellier is finding a truth in things that you know maybe other people haven't explored or or wouldn't bother exploring. It doesn't necessarily mean get in your truck and go down to to uh, West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, or West Virginia, or any of the other places they went. Yeah, you know? but uh, I think there's plenty of weirdness around anybody's given local area. Probably shouldn't go bother Woody Derenberger's daughter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, you, you know, I, to me, it's almost like, what's the craziest thought you've ever had? Now go follow that thread. You know, right. Um, why, because why not? I mean, you're going to find interesting things along the way, either way, you know. Um, so right. for me, for me, that's mystery signals from outer space in the 1970s, and theosophy and a fish doctor, <laughs> and the rock star that's telling me the story. <laughs> um, for other people, it might be haunted bricks, or uh, or something else, you know. So. Uh, so I, I, I think it's all good. I think it's all good stuff. Well, and I, I, I don't care to get drawn into arguments about any of it online. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, not I agree. Absolutely. Matt, I really appreciate you coming on, man. This has been really good. I've really enjoyed hearing about this like obscure case. And I think it's a really, really fascinating. Let's uh, tell everybody where they can find you find the, the research that you're doing. Right. Uh, okay. Remind everybody uh, about Liminal Earth. Yep, yeah, Liminal Earth. Uh, if anybody has a weird story to tell and a, need a place to tell it, that can be judgment-free and even anonymous if you so choose. You can go to liminal.earth, all lowercase, and you have a map right there. Very easy to submit or just read other people's stories if that's more your speed. You can find my blog at apstrange.com. Uh, tends to be the name I write under AP Strange, and I'm on Twitter posting little tidbits and facts every day, usually with the hashtag on this day because I can't stop doing it because they won't let me know. Uh, and you can find me at a prodigiosis there, uh, which I picked for ease of people to remember. But if you do, <laughs> if you do a at apro, usually I pop up pretty quickly. So if you think of APRO, 
the aerial phenomena research organization just do that nice. after the at symbol and and you'll find me nice okay well thank you so much man i really appreciate you coming on uh, hey, guys, check... thrilled to be here thank you for for having me absolutely <laughs> guys check out check this stuff out um it's really interesting we'll love to get you back on we'll talk about some of the other stuff on the blog too maybe dig a little deeper on some things too so all right beautiful thank you all right well stand live right. for us uh we're gonna close this section out and guys we'll be back to close out the show on conspiracy normal interview with Matt Hopewell from the AP Strange blog, which sounds for aficionado prodigious, something like that. Words are hard sometimes. And also, he's the uh, part of the whole Liminal Earth group that uh, has the very cool website called Liminal.Earth. And if you have any strange experiences, you should submit it to Liminal Earth. And they say if there is a specific place where you've seen fairies, ghosts, Bigfoot, time travelers, extraterrestrials, ultra-terrestrials, crow conferences, sentient lawn computers, lanyard ogres, broccoli wizards, etc. Broccoli wizards? Broccoli wizards. I don't know. Does your town have an urban legend you'd love to get to the bottom of? Send us your story and we might include it on our map. And I thought we would read something real quick here uh, for the one over for Nashville. I thought this one was interesting. It says uneasy feeling. I'm not sure if anyone else has experienced this in Nashville, but every now and then I will notice an uneasy and heavy feeling on certain nights, like something large looms in the sky overhead. I remember one night in February when this happened, it was about nine 30 or 10 at night. And I was out in my front yard with my dog. The darkness of the night was unordinary. There were no stars in the sky and the sky had a more of a dark gray color than black. I had this uneasy feeling that something was watching me and my dog, and though I couldn't tell where I was being observed from, it felt very much like there were eyes on us. It was dead quiet. No cars passed through our neighborhood, no dogs barked from nearby yards, and no planes flew overhead. My dog even picked up on this uncomfortable and odd feeling. She was quick to turn around and go back indoors. It felt so peculiar that I asked my boyfriend to come outside and observe it, and he agreed, observing that it felt like we were in a contained space with the ceiling above us. Submitted by Kiki D. That's weird. Very weird. So that's one of the uh, things for Nashville. There's another one about enormous deer that's uh, closer to us, one of the suburbs. Church Clapper. That's a ghost one. And a cryptid in Fairview, which is another like kind of suburb of Nashville. So I thought that was kind of an interesting one to read. It grabbed my attention when I was Cryptids browsing through it. All right, so guys, that's it uh, for this episode. Uh, please check out our Patreon. It is there. We are doing weekly episodes now. Some of them are longer than others. Some of them are shorter than others. Some of them are us talking about news events. Some of those are special things that we might do in relation to an episode. 
and some of them is us talking just a little extra time with the guests and right now a dollar gets you in so you can find there's several several posts there from the last since the end of 2016 that you guys can listen to and like i said we're doing weekly things so please help us out if you really like the show uh t-shirts are available at t public you can find conspiracy normal t-shirts there we've got the bigfoot and we also have the skull design with the fez and also um donations on the face on on the internet on the uh website as well conspiranormal.com conspiranormal.com and uh we are we should have a special message from the ashtar command uh yes. coming up soon uh on patreon um we are going to do a uh we're going to do recreations of the messages so that should be fun Instead of having a usual discussion episode, we're going to give you a little something fun this week. Yeah, we'll give you some, something a little something to look forward to. All right, guys, that's it. Don't forget, Strange Realities Conference. Uh, we may have the prices out by the time this hits. We may not, but it is happening. It is happening September 25th and 26th of 2020 at SIR Nashville. We are seven months away but that time is going to go quick. So, guys, get your once tickets become available, get them. Get everything secure. We're giving you enough time to get your travel plans ready. We've got really great speakers, which we'll reveal more of in the, in the weeks and months to come. Okay. Well, that's it, guys. Uh, thank you so much. And we will be back next week with another special guest on Conspirador. <laughs>